0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.06,
1: 7.06, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening, we're going to talk about uh, the medical profession with a couple of doctors who decided to go private. Uh, yeah, that it should really be interesting. You know, we probably won't have enough for the hour that we have,
2: and uh, we'll try and get a couple of stories out of them. But, you know... Going from the public system to the private system, you know, little that that two-tiered aspect that everybody's familiar with,
1: Uh, very interesting. Dr. Andrew Steinberg, uh, he's a urologist, and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk will join us on the program in just a few minutes. But first, as usual, uh, some news and notes. And uh, later in the show, also, by the way, uh, FL tax partner Nick Moraitis on some tax implications for doctors and other professionals, of of course, the season. Uh, But first, some news and notes, as we usually do at the beginning of every show. And uh, first, um, uh, my entrepreneurial question of the week, Josh, is actually uh, via my dad. So um, I'm in a couple now, and my girlfriend is also an entrepreneur in a sort of a complementary field, she's a speech mm-hmm. therapist. So once in a while, you know, we cross over, and if, if, if there's a --Do you problem, collaborate? Do you collaborate?: It's happened If there's a problem that I can't fix, uh, if it's a medical problem that I can fix in, in a media coaching session, for example, I might go to her and ask for some help on the medical side, um, but uh, my dad suggested that because we are in these sort of fields that are a bit complementary, hey, why don't we start another business together, a side venture? And to that I said, I don't know. Um, so my question, f- just based on time, I mean, not because it wouldn't work, but um, wh- my question for you is on the personal side, what are some of the more common mistakes um, or sources of tension you've seen with entrepreneur couples? It really starts
2: with what is the relationship you have together? Do you have an open relationship? And I don't mean open. <laughs> I don't mean open from you know. Can we sleep around? Of course, that's not no. what I meant. Uh, and I'm sure the listeners don't want to know that. <laughs> no, but but do, do you have do you have an honest relationship? Can you work together? Are you, do, do you you know do you keep secrets from each other? Are you willing to to share information? Mm. Do you have the same mentality? Do you have the same business mentality? Do you have the same uh, you know whether you give to get, whether you're closed, whether you you know you're you're you you really delegate, whether you don't delegate. But the other aspect is, are you putting everything under the same roof or are you truly separating the businesses? Some will say that, hey, you know what? One company, it's easier. It's from an administrative standpoint. Another, let's throw everything under one. Yes, from an administrative standpoint, possibly from an economies of scale standpoint, it's okay. From a liability standpoint, not so good. Uh, if one business tanks and the other one flourishes, uh, it's okay, you know. So losses will be absorbed by gains. But then, are you creating animosity? Are you saying my business is doing better than yours? Uh, so it 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 is it is tough. And the other aspect is, do you bring your business home every night? Do That's you bring it home of, yeah. uh, every weekend? And there is. Forget a danger. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It is going to happen. If you can live with that, if you don't mind taking a chance with that, great. If you can't live with that, don't start down that path. Or at least go into it and say, you know what? We're going to try it for three months. Works great. If we don't, we are putting blood on paper saying we're separating the business and not doing it again.
1: All right. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate the advice. Uh, also, news and notes of the week. Um, let's go to this story. This is the City of Montreal. Uh, they're going to uh, start throwing some money at uh, local uh, startups here. $1.3 million. So it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money.
2: They claim that there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are being brought to the economy by uh, startups, uh, people in the Quebec Business world knows that Montreal is a huge startup community. Uh, We talk about tech all the time, whether it's artificial intelligence or 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 what have you. We talk about all these different startups Uh, every week. We have a business that has has been around, yes, some for decades, but some for just a couple of years, which is in some in many respects pretty much a startup. So Montreal has said, you know what? Okay, we're going to put. You know, a million three into this, they're 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 backing this this startup festival, which is uh, which is here every year and growing each year. It happens in, I believe, it's in July, mid July, and the startup community in Montreal is big, it's growing, it has a voice. So I understand that aspect of it, certainly from a Montreal vantage point. But there was another article that was from a federal vantage point, and you know, does Ottawa contribute to the business community to the startup community. Do they know that 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 there is money in and the economy that is going to grow as a result? And I would say yes, they're putting they, they also they're putting in a, a chunk of money uh you know 3-4 billion dollars into into the economy from a from a startup standpoint. However, what are they not doing? That that it's it's not what they're doing so much as where they're not doing. And are they really creating laws or putting in rules regulations to retain talent how many times have we heard we have great universities we have great systems uh, look at the look at mcgill in the medical aspect great great venues great universities that can pump out great doctors but do they stay that that's the question how many times dan have you heard or have you spoken about the brain drain from uh, whether it's quebec whether it's canada there's far more opportunity the pay is greater you know south of the border or outside and i'm not so sure the governments whichever level of government
1: you want to talk about realize are doing anything about it yeah i've seen it here at cjad i mean running an internship program and eventually a lot of young talented kids just want to go elsewhere and uh, yeah we needed a strategy for that and what is it you know is it is it uh, giving tax breaks to
2: to to people for them not to go is it charging more for school here you know or charging less for school but if they leave If they leave the the province, the country, they have to kick back to the province. Who knows what the right answer is? But there is definitely some type of brain drain that that is going to continue to happen. And especially, and we're going to talk about doctors, we're going to talk, you know, we spoke last week about, uh, or a couple of weeks ago about doctors and how, uh, or professionals and how there's, with the changes in the CRA and the Bill Morneau aspect, and are they really attracting small businesses here? They're not, but it's so much more cheaper, certainly with Donald Trump's tax reform
1: down in the States. So they've they got to find ways to retain talent. Last uh, last time on the show we talked we spoke about um Juliette Chocolat and now another Quebec based uh, chocolate success story. And 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 this one uh, you know it this story is
2: really more and, and doesn't matter the name at the moment but this story is real about being vertical. This story is about two things. One is being vertical and one is giving a reason for somebody to walk into the store. We've said that a lot. Why walk into the store? Give me a reason to walk into the store. Be different, be unique, be attractive. Be be something have have that right uh, attitude towards customers have the right difference differentiator that's going to walk you into the store so they are doing more liquid chocolate than hard chocolate if I can say that so uh, so liquid chocolate. Chocolate, that, you know, certainly there are many uses for liquid chocolate, um, but we won't go into all of them right now. But that's certainly an attractive feature. But even more importantly, it's they're really looking at it from a vertical standpoint. And that's what I wanted to to, to stress about the article, is this verticality of a business. It's not just the retail, it's where they're getting their chocolate, where they're getting the flavors, where they're, where they're manufacturing it, and bringing it all the way up to the retail chain. And that's really where you can make even more money than you would expect just from a retail perspective.
1: This story is helpful from Inc.com. Three questions you need to ask before starting a business, according to a top entrepreneur. This is by Tommy Mello. And uh, number one is, how can we bring to the consumer a unique product or service? Sounds pretty obvious, but... You know, and and, and
2: really, it comes back to the previous story. It's, what's the differentiator? It's not so much what that product is. It doesn't matter what, but it's how can it be slightly different? How can we get it to you? How can we be make it a little more unique? Uh, and I would say there's a lot of companies out there that want to over-diversify, that want to be all things to all people. I say, you know what? If you can do that, great. But chances are, if you can do one thing superbly, magnificently, and do it phenomenally well, you're going to attract probably more people and
1: create that niche for yourself. Hmm. Number two is how can we bring this product or service to the consumer more economically and again it's not so much about the product
2: or service everybody needs certain aspects whatever it might be but can they get it to you, you know certainly in today's world where it's a lot online it's it's a lot of competition uh, you know go onto amazon eBay. there's so many areas that you can that you can get things a little cheaper how can you bring it there more economically but it's not just about the price itself it's about everything that surrounds it so yes i can buy uh, a, a mouse for for less, you know, for less money somewhere. But if I get it and I it comes, you know, it's a it's a fantastic mouse and it comes with all these features, and I don't have to think about other things. I don't have to add on plugins or anything like that. Well, then that is something that could be more interesting.
1: And finally, how can
2: we bring this product or service to the marketplace more conveniently? Minimizing the pain points. It's all about minimizing pain points. If you you know don't struggle with buying something and it's so much easier just to click and purchase or walk in a store and purchase, that's the key. Minimize your pain points get
1: your product out there. All right. We're going to talk about uh, doctors, professionals, and tax strategies for them later in the show. But first, we'll start by profiling urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk. They are both up next on CJAD's Today's Entrepreneur.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau. Chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 720,
1: welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And joining us on the program this evening is urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk. Dr. Steinberg, Dr. Monk, welcome to CJD. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's like young doctors, doctor, 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 (laughs) and doctor. Welcome back to Dr. Monk, by the way, whose show, Skin Deep, is on CJD Wednesday at 7 p.m. with Kelly Alexander, so stay tuned for that. But to start, guys, uh, can you just tell me a bit about your practices, uh, starting with uh, Dr. Monk?
3: Sure. Um, So I'm a dermatologist. Uh, I've been in practice now for about six years. Um, It's been a year that I've been in private practice, and my practice is really a mixed medical cosmetic dermatology practice. So if you've been to the clinic, I have a a lot of technology. I do a lot of laser uh, surgery. Um, So removing, you know, skin lesions, cancers with lasers is something I do on a day-to-day basis. I also do a lot of cosmetic work, uh, specialize especially in injections using Botox and fillers. um, And then using lasers to also improve uh, quality of skin, you know, and treat various conditions like acne, rosacea. So that's pretty much uh, my practice in a nutshell. Everything that has to do with skin, anything skin, go see Doctor Mark. Skin, hair, and nails. Skin, hair, and nails. Yeah. Exactly. Everything
2: that grows,
4: Ex- except for penile skin. Then you can send them to me. That's true. <laughs> Perfect, so, Andrew. So, yeah. What a segue. That's my segue. That's a great so, segue. I am. Uh, I'm a urologist. I've been in practice for 15 years. This is my 15th year. Uh, I, I, my initial uh, expertise was in the area of minimally invasive surgery, lapar- laparoscopy. Gradually, I've changed to more office based practice and I've been private uh, for the last four months that's something that's uh, changed and changed the focus of my practice dealing with uh, many issues within urology prostate disease benign and cancerous vasectomies sexual medicine uh, penile disease female incontinence so it's a whole slew of uh urological issues that we deal with in the office all,
2: all the fun stuff no all doubt the fun stuff so you know here i am thinking that i was going to you know wait till later in the program and get this but you know there's the bernie question you know you said you you switched to private four months ago ronnie you mentioned it was about a year ago so i'm really just going to jump out and say it why why did you go from the
3: ramq the public system to private practice ronnie I mean, for me, it was a, a easy, smooth transition and an easy decision to make, um, only because, you know, I studied... Uh, I did a fellowship in laser surgery, and laser surgery is all uh, private, you know? So even when you treat acne, rosacea, skin cancer, which are medical conditions, uh, when you treat those with laser, it's already a private procedure. So when I was on RAMQ... You know, my patients were confused. I was confused because, you know, some of it was on Medicare. Some of it was considered, you know, more cosmetic. So the cosmetic stuff absolutely was off of Medicare. It It had to be done essentially privately. It was. So it was really a mixed kind of system. And then, you know, last year, the government made it very clear that They didn't want this to happen anymore, and you couldn't have this mixed, you know, some bill, some Medicare, some private. And I guess it's confusing to the patients or the clients as well. It's confusing to me too. So if if I'm confused, I know everybody else out there is confused. And so because of that, I mean, I decided to go private. The other aspect also is that I wanted to run my practice a certain way. Um, I like to spend time with my patients. I like to do full skin checks. I like them to be able to ask me all their questions questions and concerns without rushing them out of the office, and I did feel that going private would allow me the time to do so. Dr. Steinberg? So
4: something similar to Ronnie, other things very different. In urology, there's not many aesthetic procedures, obviously, and uh, there's not many. there could be. There could be. We'll get into that. And (laughs) there's uh, a... So I wasn't doing any aesthetic procedures, which were not covered, but we were doing procedures in the office, cystoscopies, vasectomies, circumcisions... And uh, this was offering a good service to patients that was taking years or months to get and done in the hospital. So many urologists were doing this, but with the change in the laws a year ago, with the accessory fees, we were no longer able to do these procedures. So it, it sort of forced my hand to say, "Do we stop this? Do we stop offering the, offering the services to the patients, and and close the office ultimately, and go back to the hospital full time, uh, or or this go private?" And uh, this is again. Uh, dramatically affected my practice, the way I deal with my patients, because we were based on, on volume, you know, 10, 12 patients an hour, five minutes, in and out, in and out. And we obviously deal with a lot of sensitive issues below the belt. Five minutes is not enough for many, for most of these patients, for all of these patients, and it's not the way that I wanted to deal with them. So this gave me a chance to really, as Ronnie said, spend the appropriate amount of time with the patients and treat patients the way I would want to be as a patient
2: myself. So you decide, you open the private practice. So why stay in Montreal altogether?
3: Montreal's a great city. I I, I agree with you. Just wondering. I I love Montreal. I mean, families here, I think we're both from Montreal originally. So for me, it was an easy decision. I always wanted to stay in Montreal. Um, I actually think that that's one of the strongest aspects of Quebec is that it, there is private medicine here. And patients have the option to go private if they want. And it's not like that everywhere in Canada. Um, I think Quebec is one of the most more liberal provinces at that, and I think it's a plus. So you think the two-tier system works here? I do. I think, you know, obviously there have to be restrictions on it, um, which there are. um, But if it's, you know, well... done and and applied properly i think that it could work i think the private system can relieve some of the burden on the public sector and i think it gives patients that option to go private if they really feel the need to do so when you're when you're
2: going into the private from the public sector are you now starting to elaborate and think what other services what other what other things can i do for patients that can go well beyond what i what i would have otherwise done for sure for sure
4: because i'm learning by the patients who are coming to see me why they're coming to see me and, a lot, you know, they're not able to get GPs to get a referral to see the doctors or they have certain problems that they want to elaborate on, which doesn't best fit the public system. Again, the public system has to be strong. It's crucial. But no matter how strong it is, there's still going to be some delays. And for certain people, that's too much. Living with X problem for a week may be OK for you, but someone may want to be seen today. uh because they're going crazy with whatever the issue is and, and and want to take care of it as fast as possible. So we're always looking for what you know I guess it's the same thing with you. We want to best serve the people out there, and, and see what the needs of the people are and, and how it best fits in with our own practice.
2: So all about service. When we come back, uh, we're talking even the business side of it, the marketing, the people. There's so
1: many other aspects of the technology, as Ronnie was referring to before. We're speaking with a couple of doctors on their transition from the public system to the private system and their businesses, urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk. This evening on Today's Entrepreneur, we'll, get, we'll have uh, more with them, plus and Nick Moraitis on uh, their tax implications. It is tax season, after all. That is all on the way Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. And this evening, we're speaking with a couple of doctors who recently decided to go private: urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Ronnie Monk. And uh, Mr. Monk, Dr. Monk, can be heard on CJD. Uh, coming up on Wednesday at seven PM for the Skin Deep Show. And uh, guys, uh, let's start with uh, with you, Dr. Steinberg. Why did you decide to go private?
4: So it was a decision long, long, uh, long in the making. There was a back of my head that there was a, a need for this in in our medical system for sure. Uh, not easy to jump into it. It's sometimes a taboo subject. Uh, but we were doing procedures and, and and certain things in the office that became impossible to do last year with some of the the reforms in the healthcare system. Is you know it's, uh, the biggest one was the the dropping of the accessory fees. So that, with dropping of the accessory fees, we would not be able to do all that we do in the office, and basically it was either that uh, or close down the office and not be able to offer all these well-needed services. So that that was the straw that broke the camel's back.
3: And Ronnie, how about you? Well, for me, like I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of, a large part of my practice is laser surgery. And so already I was I was treating, you know, various dermatologic conditions with laser, which is private and off Medicare. And so, like Andrew said, when all these reforms kind of came into play um, a little bit over a year ago, um, you know, to me it was confusing what's considered covered under Medicare, what's cosmetic and... Out of pocket, and so I just decided to unify the practice.
1: Josh, we've spoken about this before: government making certain decisions, and then you have you know people who have been in the government system with that entrepreneurial bug, you know, using that decision as as a means to sort of go out there and start a business. No, no question.
2: And uh, well, th- this is a little bit different trigger. I mean, part of them is also giving back to their patients and wanting to spend that much more time with them. So th- that's definitely a, an important aspect, uh, no doubt. Certainly, certainly, in our system. So as we move on to kind of the the business side of it you're out there you know whether you're out there for the last 4 months or the last year you you got to have clients have patients know that you are not part of the the system anymore that you are that you are on your own that you have the private practice you have to start marketing yourselves you have to start getting the word out that that you are open for business in a slightly different aspect what do
3: you do first well this is for me the biggest um change from going public to private, because when you're public, that patient flow is constant. And there's always patients, obviously, that need you need your services. And, you know, you're being referred from all your colleagues and and other doctors. Um, As soon as you go private, you know, it's much more of a business. And, you know, patients are, are less willing to come to you, they know that they'll have to pay out of pocket for your services. And so, you know, advertising. I started advertising from day one as soon as I went private. Uh, social media for me is very big. I do a lot of, you know, I actually love it. I love posting about procedures I do, and I often will post lasers and injections and stuff like that All on the good my pictures. social media. I love it's dermatology, it. dermatology, you know. I mean, it's fun. So that's what I love to do. So for me, it was an easy integration, but it was definitely a big change from when I was public, and I wasn't doing any of that stuff Previously, so that's a big change. And, and Andrew, I don't know what urology pictures you might be posting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: I, I have great pictures, but I'm not allowed to post them. We're radio; it's okay. That's it.
2: Uh, so, what what did you do? Like, you know, from a marketing standpoint, from the clinic standpoint, what are the so thoughts that are going the, the through? The
4: first your... thing that I did was send a letter uh, to all my patients. I think we sent out eight thousand letters, active patients in the last five years, saying that I'm going private. These are the services which I'm going to be offering. And if you don't want to go private, that's amazing. We will help you find. I'm in an office with three or four other urologists who are not private. We will transfer your files to them seamlessly. Same chart, same file, same office. Easy. Um, the other thing we went to is is the top 100 GPs that were referring patients to me, sent them letters. And then, of course, we got into the social media. I'm not a guy who likes to get out there and and doesn't feel 100% comfortable with this. So it took me some time to to put my name out there, uh, social media. And uh, the most, I would say the most successful thing for me to date, bringing in new patients is is Google, uh, Google AdWords. It's, it's, uh, people are searching, which shows me that people want the service. People are searching, people are looking for it, people are looking up urologists, private urologists, Montreal, and so on. And that's what's uh, what's taken me so far. Now we're looking into phase two once we got the over the initial hump. And uh, and again, learning from the last four or five months and trying to see where those patients are because there's there's a there's a need, just a matter of connecting with the need, and and that's going to take some time to learn completely.
2: Now, private practice. What about pricing? You guys have to start and develop and and figure yeah. out how much you're gonna you're actually yeah. gonna charge your patients. Uh, how do you go about that? Yeah, What's the top well, process?
4: well, that, that I mean, you can ask the people uh, in the office. My office manager. The hours and hours and hours of discussions. What we had, banging our head against the wall, that trying to figure out. Uh, because you're not used to valuing yourself with a dollar sign as a doctor. So who's going to want to pay? Do you look pay? at your
2: competition? Do you look at other private? Well, practitioners? urology. There's no
4: competition. There's no. There's one other urologist across Canada who's done this, and he did it three weeks before me. So there's no. There's no one to look at.
2: Great. You get to. You have to be a trendsetter.
4: Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> nobody's. Some, some nobody's say, cheaper than me. Some people say brave. Some people say stupid. But. Uh, <laughs>
2: Uh, and about, so, yeah. yeah sorry go on
4: yeah so we just uh, after hours of discussion or weeks of discussion we came up with something and we said we'll adjust it as we go and so
3: far we haven't adjusted much
2: and ronnie you've been doing this a little bit longer
3: yeah so for me i mean i knew that i would kind of learn as we as i went along um so initially i did you know speak to some of my colleagues that were private and i know a few dermatologists that already opted out a few years ago so after speaking to them i kind of said to myself you know what I I think I'm a likable guy. I think people, I want people to like to come to me. So I, I did set my price point a little bit lower compared to other people. But you know, I also feel like I want to be accessible for patients. So setting a bit of a lower price point in comparison, I thought would make me as accessible as possible. Speaking of accessibility, location, did that come into play where you wanted to set up shop? Well, that's. I think when you start a practice, that's the most important decision is where do you practice. And when you're on Medicare, you take it for granted, right? You say patients are going to come to me anyways. But when you're private, I think it's even more of a consideration. That being said, I mean, I think that, you know, like I think my patients, wherever I would be, they would come to me anyways, because we develop that relationship over time. But for sure, location, parking, practicality is all important. Andrew?
4: Well, I, my practice was already set up in the Elna Medical complex on the carry, so it's somewhat central, and uh, but, but I guess you know when people want you, they find you. so I, I think it was important to choose a good place, but people are finding me from Gatineau, from Sherbrooke, from uh, you know wherever there's a need across Quebec, they, they find it. So it's because, because of the nature of the practice and and I guess the lack of
1: competition, they find you from from, from all around. Real quick question before the break uh, for you both: What is your best lesson uh, as as newer entrepreneurs uh, after that transition? What's what's the one lesson that you would uh, you've learned? Well, for me, I think um,
3: you know, I always talk about this with my wife: you gotta love what you do. And I absolutely love lasers, technology. I love uh, making people feel good about their skin, seeing results. And so being in the cosmetic dermatology world, I mean, I'm very passionate about it and I love it. And for me, I don't feel like it's work because I love it so much. One other thing I just want to mention very quickly, whether private or public, it's always about the patient. And I don't, think that being private or public is as important as it is, you know, and I know myself and Andrew both feel this way. It's always about what's best for the patient, ultimately. Andrew,
2: it's been a little newer, but do you have a quick uh, lesson learned at the moment that you want to share?
3: Um,
4: Yeah, you got to have thick skin, uh, because there are some naysayers out there. That's not the dermatologist
2: talking, by the way, that's That's the urologist.
4: (laughs) You have to have thick skin on on other areas. Uh, You have to, uh, you have to, As Ronnie said, like what you do, but you have to be good at what you do because these people are paying to see you and you want to be good to them and and treat them well because they have friends and and colleagues and and doctors that they see that are going to help refer you back. Word of mouth is super important at the end of the day. I mean, I've, I've, I've been
1: okay for four months now, but as I keep on saying, four months down, 20 years to go. Urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk will have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way, plus FL's Nick Moradas, tax partner on implications during tax season for doctors and other professionals. That is coming up next.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's entrepreneur. And joining us as urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg and dermatologist Dr. Ronnie Monk. Their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But first, we welcome back FL tax partner Nick Moraitis to talk about some of the tax implications for uh, these doctors and other professionals. It is that time of the year. Nick, welcome back. Hi. How are you doing? First Not of all? too bad. Very well. And you know there
2: there's really a lot of topics we can cover, Nick. But let's you know we'll we'll kind of talk a little bit incorporation. Should in, should doctors still incorporate? Uh, and you know certainly from a tax standpoint, the income splitting rules are a little bit out the window. So you know wherever you want to start, go right ahead.
5: And when do I finish? Um, the three minutes. <laughs> The idea was for doctors, and this actually started, uh, we think that that was probably the problem as to why the Liberals uh, came out with the policies is that a lot of professionals started to incorporate. There was good tax reasons, there was good non-tax reasons to do so. Uh, for those who are investing in, in equipment, etc., financing could be easier with a corporation rather than owning something yourself, and it's co-mingled with your personal assets. So I can see bankers would prefer corporations. You have employees. You want to, you want maybe to do it through a corporation. Um, over time, you can uh, you can access uh, an individual pension plan through a corporation that you can't do it otherwise. And that's a turbocharged RSP, I call it. So these are there's good good financial reasons to do that, but a lot of the tax- Tax reasons was was what you were able to split income with your family. Well, that's a no go. Um, if you were in the type of medical practice where it was that you were able to sell the medical practice, it was a capital gains exemption that's still available. And the third thing that you wanted to do is pay a lower level of tax um, f- for the, your total income. What you need to live on, you will pay the the regular the full, the, you know, fifty something percent tax that the government needs. But what you don't need to live on, you can defer and accumulate wealth in the corporation, which the government didn't like either. So starting in 2018, if, uh, if you have family trusts in your corporations and you have family members who do not work in your, in your business, you cannot split income with them anymore. That's but pretty still, much but still
2: for 2017, there is still a little bit of time left, uh, 10 days left if you wanted to, to deal with the 2017 uh, distributions from your family trust. If
5: if it hasn't, if the if the family trust hasn't yet decided who you you have to decide as to and, and make it payable to the uh, beneficiaries uh, shortly. Um, the the now uh, if, what
2: now what if your spouse was. Helping you or working—that's that's, in the that's it. So if you're
5: if if your spouse or, or child who's over it uh, was an adult child is working in the business, the government's basically said, listen: if you're doing if they're doing twenty hours a week on a constant basis uh, uh, every every week, then they're considered to be contributing meaningfully to the business. You can you can pay them salary, you can pay them dividends. There isn't any of this income splitting issues. If they're not doing these twenty hours, or doing something else, and it's basically whatever it is that they're doing. That's pretty much what you're allowed to pay them. Um, and so that becomes a problem if, if their skill set, what they've learned, the, spouse, the spouses and the children, isn't very helpful to the doctor. Well, then there's not much you can do. The thing that uh, – the, and then recently with the last budget that they finally came out was um, one of the beauties of corporations was the accumulation of wealth. This is how the last 50, 60 years um, Canadian entrepreneurs were accumulating wealth was through the corporations. Savings. Savings, yeah. It's the Monies I make that I don't need to spend on my business or on myself. So uh, let's accumulate it in a corporate environment. Let's reinvest it, stock market, real estate, whatever it is that you want to re- reinvest it, and, and let that grow. It becomes a pension pot for the for entrepreneurs, um, and, and it, it makes a difference between um, trying to get it all yourself, uh, paying 50%, or paying closer to 20 or 19%. Well, now the government's come in and said, okay, fine, um, we'll let you do that up to a point. And the point is, once... You start earning. What was it? Fifty thousand of investment income. So if you've saved, accumulated a million dollars of funds, and you've invested it in real estate or a combination of real estate, stock market, etc., and you're making fifty thousand dollars from this investment of a million, what they start doing is they'll go back to your business and they'll start increasing the taxes on your business. So that fifty thousand and one dollar, that extra one dollar, will be taxed anywhere between eighty and ninety percent. And that's what they're trying to do because they figure that once you got to the million, that should be enough. Now start taking out the money. Not just doctors, though. We're talking about any professionals. Any professionals and any business person, actually.
2: So, uh, yeah, not, uh, not always a lot of fun, but no. definitely rules yeah. you now got to follow. Thanks very much, Nick. Okay. And as we approach the last uh, moment of the show, uh, and we got a little bit of this uh, earlier on, but we'll turn to, uh, to Dr. Steinberg and Dr. Monk and ask each one of you, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Andrew?
4: So uh, I guess it's more than one piece. One be good. I said this before. Be good at what you do. Believe in what you do and what you want to do. And then and be persistent. There's going to be stumbling blocks. If you fall, get up and keep going in the direction you want to, you want to go in and that you believe in. Excellent. Thanks. And Ronnie,
3: um I also said it before, but I'll repeat it. I think passion for me is number 1. Um, if you 're passionate about what you do, you really believe in it. you never feel like it 's work, you never feel like it 's business. I mean going to the office, I love what I do, I love cosmetics, and so i I thrive in that environment because it 's my passion
2: and uh, thanks very much, guys and Dan. the quick takeaway that uh, that also Ronnie and Andrew said earlier is they really wanted to spend more time with their clients, their patients, and I think that that really revolves or associates with any business and not just not just doctors so that's always a huge important factor for any entrepreneur
1: urologist dr andrew steinberg and dermatologist dr ronnie monk thank you both for joining us this evening and a reminder to listen to dr ronnie monk and skin deep which is coming up uh wednesday 7 p.m here on cj80 thanks to nick moretis tax partner at fl and best of luck guys with this season of course next week on the show josh bad monkey popcorn should be fun some good snacking next monday night at seven here on cj80 good night